You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas, Good Road. <laughs> you know, it's been so long since I sat behind this mic. I've had to kind of catechize myself and relearn everything here. Uh, sorry for the break that we've had with uh, equipping the saints. And if you're listening to this two or three years down the road, it won't matter. But uh, I had a, a very, very serious bout of laryngitis for uh, more than three weeks. I had no voice. And then it kind of uh, slowly came back and so been uh, saving my voice uh, trying to uh, preach and teach judiciously and this is our um, first time back in the recording studio in over a month and so uh, thanks for your patience thanks for your prayers and uh, it's good to be back equipping the saints we uh, take some time to look at God's word that teaches Christians how to live like Christians. We know we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by what we do or say or pay or pray. And yet at the same time, God's word has a lot to say about what this new life in Christ looks like. And so that's the uh, purpose of equipping the saints. Pastor Moline, how are you this fine day? I am glorious. I am just glorious. Glorious. I could pick that apart, but I'm just going to leave that hang right now. We've been uh, working our way through the uh, last half of the book of Ephesians with our uh, last episode, episode 6. We ended with Ephesians 5, verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we have that word picture of Christ rising from the dead. We have the word picture of the Christian with the new life in Christ rising from the dead, that it is easy to fall asleep with regard to the gifts that God has given us, and also the light of Christ. Christ will shine on you. And so with all those kind of things in mind, we move on to our next section. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Vicar? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, that's the section we're going to be examining in uh, this episode, episode 7 of Equipping the Saints, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. You know, Pastor, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we have this word that just keeps coming back and again and again and again. I would think that this is uh, pretty significant in uh, the book of Ephesians and really throughout all of Scripture. And it's that word that is translated walk. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. We've, uh, we've talked about this word a lot. And uh, for those that may be listening for the first time, what is the significance of this word? Uh, Peripateo, if I'm uh, pronouncing the Greek right. And uh, it, is, it is throughout this uh, chapter. It is throughout the book of Ephesians. Give us a little bit of the historical background with this walk and uh, how, how does it relate to what we're talking about now as Christians? Well, it has the idea to go with it, um, this whole philosophical idea of how you learn things, and you learn because you're led around by a teacher. And we've gone through in the the last episodes about how our teacher has been changed from the world, from the prince of the air, from Satan, uh, and now in the waters of holy baptism, our new teacher, our new master has become God, and so now we walk under his tutelage and under his care. And so that's the idea that's being... uh, brought across here with this word <clears throat> all the times that it's being used. And uh, now I think this is really interesting, the way that it uh, continues to be used here. We're to diligently look, then, at the way that we walk. We're, uh, in other words, examine isn't, isn't ourselves. That work, isn't that works righteousness? Well, I mean— if, if it is, then that's what we're saying about Paul, who is, you know, in a sense, the uh, father of the Lutheran Reformation, uh, who opened the eyes of Martin Luther. Um, he's saying, look and examine yourself and see if you're actually walking under the tutelage of your new master, if you're actually uh, concerned about what he says and about how to live your life as a result of that. And to, to bring this idea across, he uses another philosophical word, uh, Sophia. Uh, and so you have the Asophia and the Sophia. You're not unwise, but now you're wise because you belong to God. And that's what this entire verse is saying then. Uh, We walk as Christians. We live as Christians. We act as Christians. We think as Christians because we are wise in the gifts that God has given to us. What would you say to those that would say any kind of an emphasis, like what we've been talking about on on our programs here with Equipping the Saints, any kind of an emphasis that talks about this walk that you uh, very, very articulately explained uh, takes away from Christ, takes away from the article of justification, and uh, ultimately leads people to despair? 
Well, uh, I'd say then they're misunderstanding the idea of what's going on. When we're uh, underneath the tutelage of Christ, then that's the very definition of how we're able to examine ourselves, how we're able to learn what's right and what's wrong, how we're able to see what we do and what we think, and it's because we belong to Christ. And so since we belong to Christ, we act one way. If we didn't belong to Christ, we would act another way. We're wise because we're in Christ, and we're not unwise because uh, we're of the world. And so there's the the distinction again. It is that we're under the umbrella of Jesus that we're able to even be Christian. The the Augsburg Confession makes this clear. And uh, I'm often astounded when when Lutherans make this argument that we should not be talking uh, in any great detail about this because Christ has fulfilled the law. Why, why are you wasting your time? It's a very antinomian or soft antinomian kind of an approach. But um, Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession beautifully lays out the doctrine of justification Article 5 teaches us about the means of grace and how God distributes justification through the office of the holy ministry in word and sacrament. And Article 6 talks about the good works that flow from faith. That's what we're talking about here, the good works that flow from faith. And this walk that uh, we're talking about here, or that uh, the Holy Spirit is talking about through the Apostle Paul, is this fruit of faith. I've, uh, I've given several quotes from the uh, Concordia Commentary on Ephesians, authored by Thomas M. Winger, and I came across this little quote. It's on page 594. Yes, I read almost or over 600 pages in preparing for this program. It says, Inasmuch as the shining of Christ's light was introduced in the baptismal hymn, 5 verse 14, as the point of rebirth, walking in the light of God's word is an allegory of the entire new life viewed from the perspective of both faith and deeds. What do you think about that, Pastor? This uh, walking as an allegory of the entire new life of words and deeds. Well, um, I... I appreciate and understand what he's saying, and I agree with him, except for the use of the word allegory. Uh, It's not an allegory. It's the reality. It's what we do now. Uh, And so uh, I know he's saying it's a a turn of phrase bringing across the idea, but Mm -hmm. it is still the reality that is there. And so to merely call that an allegory is a way to kind of even lessen the way that it applies to us and uh, affects our life. Okay. I think that's that's a fair observation here. Uh, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Pastor, you you talked a little bit about this uh, wisdom and uh, lack of wisdom here before. (laughs) Vicar, uh, how does one become wise? Uh, Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by wise. Here in this case, I think they're talking about wise according to the ways of God. Uh, The way that we would start that out, of course, is by learning about the Word of God, letting the Word of God work in your life, hearing the Word of God, as we would say, and the Word of God brings faith. Uh, That then leads one to baptism. Baptism is where we receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one uh, that gives wisdom, that brings all true wisdom. So one gets 
wise or attains wisdom only from God through the Holy Spirit. I uh, I like that. I think that's pretty good. There's there's even more that can be said. Um, wisdom in the book of Proverbs uh, sometimes talks about faith. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes it is Christ uh, is uh, pictured as wisdom personified. And we see that in the uh, Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, where wisdom personified is Christ. And so it is all those things that you said, Vicar, and even more. Simply here now, Pastor, in verse 15 of Ephesians 5, can I substitute the words faith and unfaith or believer and unbeliever in this verse? Is that is that a simple way to understand what we're talking about? I'd say it's a simple way to begin to understand it, but I think that um, it goes beyond that because it is this practical reality of then how we live our lives and what we do. Because we're Christian, um, we seek not to commit adultery, for example, since we're in Ephesians 5. Uh, And uh, that's what's wise about us, is that we know from the Word what adultery is, and we uh, know what Christ has done to uh, overcome that particular sin and all sin. And our wisdom then also is being a little bit informed about how to deal with the practical things of our day-to-day life in faith. If if I said, Pastor, in the next 30 seconds. Can you give me the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Um, In the next 30 seconds? Yes. um, Now it's 25. Yeah, I'd say that um, I probably couldn't do it in 30 seconds. Okay. (laughs) Let me try this on for size, (laughs) and then you can think about it over the break. All right. Um, Knowledge is a gaining of facts. Yes. And wisdom is not only gaining that knowledge, but putting those facts into practice. Yes. Is that, a, is that fair? Yes, and, and there's a whole bunch more, that, yeah, but I think that's a great way to summarize it. Okay, all right. We need to take a break. This is Equipping the Saints, Episode 7, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We are privileged to serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. Today in Episode 7, we're looking at Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. We're looking at the Christian walk. We are talking about looking carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You know, Pastor, a few episodes ago when you were talking about that word peripateo, that walk word, you talked about how, you know, back in the olden days, before Jesus, uh, we walked under a different leader. And now that we have been washed, regenerated, baptized into Jesus, been given new life in, uh, in Christ, we walk under a new leader. 
and that leader is God, uh, specifically Christ who has redeemed us with his holy precious blood, and all this is brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I have to be honest with you, that emphasis has never, ever, ever been brought out to me in my 60-plus years. Is this a, is this a kind of a new discovery for you? Is this something that you've been taught all the way through your catechesis and uh, seminary kind of life? Um, help me out here because I'm, I'm still, uh, the, the, the light bulbs are still coming on for me. This is just such a startling, wonderful revelation. And I'm just, I'm ashamed that I didn't know it before. Um, I, I'd say um, what it is is just looking at what the words in the Scripture say and reading the Greek and, and figuring out what the words mean and having uh, a cursory knowledge uh, of theology and of history and of different movements of thought and time throughout the ages. I think that that's a helpful thing because Paul is writing in a context, right? Uh, the people who don't believe the Scriptures are always throwing that at us, right? Uh, Paul was writing to a particular people at a particular time, and that's true. It doesn't mean that what he says doesn't apply to us. That's where we have an issue with it. And so looking at the words that are being used and the entirety of the argument, I think it opens it up for us a little bit so that we can see that. He uses this word over and over and over again, and I think he does so for a reason. I do too. Vicar, uh, is this is this something that... Uh, was brought out for you at all in your uh, first two years of seminary classes or in your Greek study or anything like that? Or has this been kind of a uh, um, new revelation for you? Uh, yeah, this was talked about by a few different professors at a, a few different times uh, before just to kind of help uh, further our knowledge in, in this and another way to explain this to any kind of potential future parishioners or anything to help deepen their knowledge of the Christian faith and what is kind of expected of them. Some people think that, oh, I'm baptized now. Uh, that's it. That's all. I'm good to go. They don't realize that the Christian life is, um, gosh, almost a journey, if I can use that kind of language, uh, without being crucified. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that, Vicar, because, uh, you know, I went to a different seminary a long time ago, and uh, it's the first I've ever heard this. And so I'm just, I'm ecstatic, and I'm very, very thankful, if for no other reason, uh, with our Equipping the Saints program to uh, bring this to light and this uh, peripateo, this uh, importance of the Christian walk as we have in the second half of Ephesians. Let's take, uh, let's move on now with regard to verse 16, Ephesians 5, verse 16. And it's really one sentence and you, you, it's kind of hard in the English because it breaks it up here. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So a part of this wisdom in this Christian walk, this baptismal walk, is making the best use of time. Pastor, comments on that. Yeah, I think uh, it's really an interesting word that Paul uses uh, for making the best use of it. It's a word, uh, ex agorazo menoi, uh, which means 
Uh, an agora would be like your store where you go and you buy your things. And so you're taking it out of your store uh, and bringing it home and keeping it for yourself. And this picture then is what you're doing with your time. You're making it yours and you're using it the way you would like to do that, uh, bringing it out and bringing it home to be under your control. And I think a key thing in this and um, is that that is contrasted. As a Christian, you have this time uh, and you need to use it wisely because the days are evil. And the word that's used here is ponerai, uh, which is the same word that we end the Lord's Prayer with. Um, uh, when we say, deliver us from evil, it's that same word there. And I think it fits into the theme of where we're going to go. Remember, in the, the chapters uh, and the verses before, we've gone through quite a few of the um, Ten Commandments. We spent a little bit of time talking about how the Sixth Commandment is violated right before this, and where we're going to head in just a few verses is what is actually supposed to happen with the Sixth Commandment between husbands and wives and the relationship of marriage. And so using that word there also, I think, is a helpful thing for us. I think there's uh, sometimes some naughtiness or some confusion that goes on here, uh, making the best use of time uh, because the days are evil, there are some translations uh, that make it sound like Paul is saying, well, you know, right now, this time that we live in is especially evil. And uh, it's, it's important that you do this now. That's not what he's saying, is it? No, and I think what he's saying is because he knew the Lord's Prayer and the same things that Christ taught in the Lord's Prayer. You know, when we say deliver us from evil, we don't mean merely don't let bad things happen to me. What we also are saying is get me out of here. Uh, uh, you know, the, the great 60s song, there's got to be some way out of here, right? Um, that's what we're asking we God to do. We get out of this place. Right, so, the same thing. Okay. I know my 60s. I, I was doing the other one. <laughs> um, we're asking God to take us out of this place, and the way that he does that for us is either by returning and bringing this world to an end, or we die in the faith and are delivered um, into his care, awaiting the day of the resurrection. And so that's the same idea when we talk about the days are evil. Why do we want to get out of here? Is because everything in this world is corrupted by sin, tainted by sin, destroyed by sin. Can't I make this world my friend? You can, uh, and then you'll be in hell forever. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the point, right? Uh, we love, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We walk under his tutelage now and uh, not under the tutelage of the prince of the power of the air or of this world. There are some translations that say, uh, talk about redeeming the time. You've, we've got here in the ESV making the best use of time. Um, Thoughts on that? That word is an acceptable translation of this ex agoremenoi. Um, I didn't say it right there. It's it's the same idea. You know, you go to the store, um, uh, Pastor Poppy, when you go to the store, you fill up your cart. Can you just walk right out of the store and load that stuff into your car? What do you have to do first? Pay for it. You have to pay for it. Or you have to give them something so that they'll give you the food. That's That's the idea of redemption. And so it's that same sort of idea happening with this word. Okay. And uh, uh, we just need to be careful that um, if we have a translation like that, or if you're, you're thinking in that way, this is, this is not something that we uh, are doing on our own. 
uh, in order to earn or merit or favor the reward of blessings in our use of time or anything like that. I've seen some really uh, unfortunate treatment of this particular text. That's why I'm kind of dwelling here. Yeah, but at the same time, um, let's just be completely frank about it, right? In Christ, um, it's probably, you uh, mentioned, you know, 60s music, right? Imagine if you knew the scriptures and could bring them to mind as quickly as you could songs from the 60s, right? Uh, I have the same problem. Or, um, you know, we live in Nebraska. Uh, if we could recount the the things that are written in the book of Leviticus as clearly as we could recount how many yards Johnny Rogers had in his senior season, right? Um, if we could spend the time we have for the really truly valuable things which are from Christ and from God rather than the things of this world. That's the idea that uh, Paul is bringing out. And, and that is beautiful and convicting all at the same time because we all have our little passions that we know everything there is to know about and how little time we spend in uh, Scripture. I want to I conclude this with... Um, uh, this verse, and again, this is the uh, Concordia Commentary on Ephesians by Thomas Winger, page 582. Perhaps then what Paul means is that just as Christians, just as the Christian has been purchased and won out of the clutches of the devil by the innocent suffering and death of Jesus Christ, see the Apostles' Creed, so the Christian, as an agent of God, redeems the present time, or more precisely, he takes up and uses it as a gift that has been redeemed for him by Christ. Paul offers this perspective as a robust contrast to conformity to the world and backsliding into the old Gentile life against which he has been warning. What do you think about that? That I mean, that's a way of saying the same thing we were just saying. I, th- um, I think that's beautifully said, and I think that sums up very well not only what you just said with regard to redeeming the time, but it also encapsulates that whole idea of walking under a different leader. Not to backslide into the old uh, Gentile pagan ways, but to remember who it is that has redeemed you and listening to him. And because of that, you're motivated to make the best use of your time. Vicar, you're chomping at the bit. (laughs) Uh, I think that an interesting thing that people often overlook, especially here with this verse, the days are evil. Um, There's an implication of the opposite of that as well. If you've heard the saying, you know, the exception that proves the rule. Uh, The days are evil here in this sinful fallen world. That's compared to the amazing uh, salvation that we're going to see at the end of days. So as Christians, when we say the days are evil, we aren't just going, oh, everything is horrible and terrible. We're saying, ah, we want to go someplace better. We want to be in the presence of God uh, as opposed to here uh, where the days are evil. We're we're in this sinful, fallen world. I like that, and that ties back into uh, Pastor Moline's comment about the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. I think most Christians, when they pray that, don't realize, uh, you know, what they are actually praying for. Uh, literally, get me out of here. Take me out of this sinful, evil world and take me to be with you forever. And as the uh, catechumens are able to uh, recite, that will happen when we die 
or when Christ returns in power and might and glory, whichever comes first. And so for that, we anxiously await. And, um, you know, when things are going well, when the stock market is going up, when my health is great, when my political party is in power, um, I don't usually recognize how evil the days are. And I certainly don't want to leave the days because I'm having such a good time. And I've made friends with the world. However, um, God loves us enough that when we turn those things into idols, uh, he breaks those idols so that we can once again long to be with him in heaven for all eternity. We need to take a short break. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We thank you for tuning in. The uh, broadcast that you're hearing, you may be hearing over our radio station here at Good Shepherd, KNNALP 95.7 in Lincoln. You can, uh, when you're outside the broadcast area, we're a low-power station, uh, you can check us out on the website, www.thecross957.org, or you can uh, check us out in podcast form as well. We, uh, we put everything in on Anchor, but uh, any of your favorite podcast formats will be able to pick it up, not only um, Equipping the Saints, but many, many other programs that we put together here at Good Shepherd, all under the blanket title of KNNA Theological Programming. We'd love to have your feedback as well. We're looking at Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Vicar, do you want to read verse uh, 17 and get that fresh in our brain? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, it seems to me that we have a, um, uh, a contrast here with regard to foolish and unwise, and um, wisdom, and the will of the Lord. Is that is that a parallel that we can look at, Pastor? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, that that is ringing in our ears still when we hear this particular phrase. It is a different word that he uses, uh, foolish, and it's it's maybe not the word that we're used to thinking of foolish. You know, in the Greek, uh, the the normal word we think of uh, is moros, where we get our English word moron from. But this is a um, a different word, afrolon, uh, afron, um, and uh, this word here. 
you know, have this idea of the fro, the frentes, uh, is your mind, your thinking, and the ah before it is the negator. And so it's the unthinking kind of foolish way. The uh, You haven't thought things through completely. Uh, and so we don't want to be that way, but instead we want to know the mind of God, the will of God. Understand uh, is the word that's used here. And the only way that can happen, of course, is if we hear what God says. We listen to God's word, uh, the scriptures, and the scriptures preached, and the scriptures delivered, um, and that's the kind of idea here. That's what allows us to think through things and to understand them. Again, I want to be simple. I want to go back and say uh, it says in the Psalms, um, the fool says in his heart there is no God, and so we've got a contrast here between a believer and an unbeliever, a Christian and a pagan. Is that... um, is that acceptable there, Pastor? Yeah, I, th- I think, again, he's nailing home this separation, this division that we've been talking about for chapters. In uh, Luther's meaning to the third article of the Creed, we confess, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Vicar, how can I possibly understand what the will of the Lord is if my reason and strength are not strong enough to do it? Uh, well, we can always go to the Bible and rely on the Holy Spirit because that's really truly where, like we said before, where all wisdom comes from. Uh, we're not relying on our own interpretations of anything. We're relying on the Scripture uh, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Specifically here in the Lutheran Church, we always go by saying Scripture interprets Scripture. So we don't just read a verse and go, well, this is what this means to me. Uh, We look for other places where it says similar things in the Bible, and uh, we let Scripture interpret Scripture by seeing how the Bible agrees with itself. We continue to study the Word of God and and learn what God really wants us to learn from it by going directly to His Word and only to His Word. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I don't don't want to beat a dead horse on this verse, and I want to move on, but we have a lot of people in this world who spend a lot of time worrying and fretting about what— God's plan is, what God's will is for their life. They are rarely at peace, and they are trying to discern um, specifics with regard to, should I date this boy? Should I uh, take this job? Should I buy this car? Um, Should I go out of the house today? Um, Any words to folks that are kind of caught in this trap with regard to this blunt stating uh, here that the wise understand what the will of the Lord is. Right, and I think that's the beauty of being a Lutheran Christian is that we do have the catechism that helps us understand what the will of God is. It's when uh, God breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, that first uh, master that we were under, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. But instead, when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and in faith until we die. Again, then bringing us back to the other master, which teaches us through the scriptures and through the word what, uh, how he saved us, what his desire is for our life, and how we ought to live. And so then, when that's the reality of God's will, it sets us free for a lot of those other things. I don't need to worry about whether I wear my blue shirt or my red shirt. I don't need to worry about if I wear my uh, 
corduroy pants or my jean pants. <clears throat> I, I, you know, any of these silly little things. I don't matter if I have chicken or fish. Um, I'm free in those things because God's will for me is such a larger thing than that. And uh, you said it very well, very well, because this is uh, the beauty of uh, the Lutheran teaching and the Lutheran understanding of Scripture. In so many of these little details in life, we're free. And we know that God will bless us, whether we take this job or that job, as long as one of the jobs isn't doing something that is clearly contrary to the Word of God. And so we have been given much, much freedom, and God wants us to enjoy that freedom that he has earned for us. And we don't need to sit around and try to discern all these little details as the will of God. I even see pastors do that. Pastors are the worst at it, aren't they? Yeah. I mean... Especially when they get a call. What does God want me to preach on this Sunday? What does God want me to? Uh, where does He want me to serve? You know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna figure out how God can lead us in kingdom work or whatever other silly thing that the the yes. pastor comes up with. Which parts of the city should I stake out for Jesus? Right. Yeah. Um, there, there's lots of that nonsense. Well, uh, let's move on. And uh, Vicar, you want to read verse eighteen? And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, this is a really fun verse right here. Um, You know, you can play with this and do not get drunk with wine, so it's okay to get drunk with whiskey or scotch. Uh, (laughs) It's okay to get drunk with uh, uh, some some other kind of narcotic or intoxicant. Uh, Is that what what the Holy Spirit through Paul is teaching here, Pastor? No. uh, I mean, he's just... um Paul is using a common phrase, you know, don't get drunk with wine, but it means don't be drunk, period, right? Uh, He's speaking uh, against the sin of drunkenness. Right. Um, And uh, this this next word, the second word that comes after it, asotia, uh, dissipation, uh, nails that idea down. The the idea of dissipation, we don't talk about that very much, but that's the hangover, (laughs) right? When you get up in the morning and you have been drunk, uh, and now you're trying to go about your day and you're in a fog, that's dissipation. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what, yeah. That happens whether it was wine or whiskey or scotch or whatever it is. Now, it doesn't mean you can't drink it. But again, you're not to be, it's not to become your God. You're not to be drunken with it or uh, let it become your idol. Now, there are some of our friends in Christ that would look at this passage and say that drinking alcohol of any kind is a sin. How would you, how would you respond to that, Pastor? Well, I think that that would be um, denying the salvation for everyone who lived before the 1800s. I mean, even the reality of Paul uh, later on, uh, is it to Timothy or is it to Titus? I can't remember. He says to Timothy, uh, add a little bit of wine to your water uh, because it's good for your stomach. And that's the reality in the ancient world is that the water generally, it wasn't treated the same way that our water is treated. And so you added wine to it because the alcohol and the wine helped kill the things that make you sick. And so everybody drank wine. Jesus drank wine. Paul drank wine. Timothy drank wine. Uh, and they did so for a long, long time for the medicinal purposes of it. Uh, and even grape juice, uh, as we know, it wasn't invented until Welch uh, invented it in the 1840s, 18, somewhere, 1800s. Um, and, and so it's something new that we can 
not have that. And, uh, you know, if someone, according to their own personal piety, wants to abstain from alcohol, they're certainly free to do that. Uh, and yet at the same time, that piety turns into pietism if you try to force your own personal piety on others. That's why the uh, prohibition did not work in the United States, um, si- simply because it was a foolish attempt at secular pietism. And uh, it didn't work. It caused all kinds of other sin to erupt. And there is nothing sinful about drinking alcohol. However, the sin of drunkenness is real, and pastors need to preach against it. And there are some people that are easily and quickly addicted to alcohol, and we need to make sure that uh, those programs and things that are out there to help with those kind of addictions and that people are not tempted or led into sin. It's like so much of Lutheran theology, Pastor. You can't just make it into a black and white kind of a little uh, formula to follow. Um, Drunkenness is a sin, but drinking alcohol is not a sin. And at the same time, if that was the case, Jesus is probably the biggest sinner of all. Because he instituted the Lord's Supper with wine. And um, unless I think I have better words than Jesus, who am I to tell Jesus that, uh, that he was wrong in so doing? Last comments on that, Pastor? No, I agree. And I think that we take that idea with many, many of the things. A piety is good, but pietism is uh, an issue. The... Um, uh, Contrast that's here in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to go to Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, they were accused of being drunk with wine. Um, have you have you made that connection, or have you thought about that? Uh, I think... I think that's a starting point for it. I think this this builds into the next uh, the next verse, and I think that uh, you know the way our verses are divided up isn't always the most helpful here because I think this being filled with the Holy Spirit then is driving towards worship, liturgical worship, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks to God. The The way we're filled with the Holy Spirit is by participating in church. And so in that sense, yes, Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit comes uh, to be present in worship through the preaching and teaching, and uh, we ought to be in church in the liturgical service to also be filled with preaching and teaching and the Holy Spirit as a result. To, uh, to emphasize that, Winger goes on talking in great detail about how drunkenness was a part of pagan worship. And that he is setting, yes. that he is that he is setting the stage here already with his comment on drunkenness for the worship comments that are coming. So I think you're spot on, spot on, spot on. We need to take a break. Equipping the Saints, Ephesians five, fifteen to twenty one. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Well, welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We are uh, serving the Saints and gladly and thankfully here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. This is Episode 7. We're looking at Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. And uh, we want to finish out... Uh, our section here that we're looking at and uh, we've we've got a lot and it all kind of runs together in one big long sentence and uh, vicar if you would read 18 through 21 and uh, we're going to take a look at that we looked at 18 in our last segment but we want to use that as a jumping point 18 to 21 of ephesians 5 and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, that last verse, uh, we'll we'll really spend more time on that in our next episode. It's kind of a hinge verse. It's uh, the end of this section. It's the beginning of the next section. Many trees have died and much ink has spilt on verse, uh, been spilt on verse 21. And we're just going to make some uh, general comments on that verse here and look for that in our next episode. Pastor, before we went into the last break, you made the comment that... Uh, this is in reference, you know, being filled with the Spirit is in reference to or somehow connected to worship. You went so far as to say to the liturgy and the divine service. Can you expand on that a little bit, um, what you're thinking and how you came to that conclusion based on verses 18 through 21 of Ephesians 5? Well, I mean, uh, the reality is everyone is liturgical, whether they realize it or not. It's just some liturgies are better than others. Um, And uh, what Paul is talking here when he says these things with the words uh, filled with the Spirit, and then we have this uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This uh, The word here is la luntes, which oftentimes is a word uh, used when we're talking about uh, the speaking that goes on in the worship service. Uh, It's not limited to that, of course, but it does carry that with it. And the words, psalms and hymns and things like that carry that same idea with them. And so I think we can use it this particular way, making melody of the Lord with your heart. And then we have in the beginning of verse 20, uh, this word giving thanks, which is in the the Greek, um, Eucharisto again, which is the word we get uh, Eucharist from or the Lord's Supper from. And so all the things here while not directly hammering home, they definitely lean towards talking about what happens in the divine service on a Sunday morning in the church uh, with the people of God gathered together with their pastor around God's word. And so I think this is what Paul is talking about here. Um, and uh, as you had mentioned uh, right before we left uh, the, the last segment, uh, that this drunkenness was a lot, uh, had a lot to do with some of the pagan worship, specifically things like uh, the god Bacchus and the Bacchanalia, where uh, there was a period of time where the whole point of your worship life was to get drunk and go out and uh, act audaciously maybe is a way to say it <laughs> lewdly well, and and the drunkenness was connected to the the uh, sexual activity um, the fornication and all of these yes. kind of things so it's it's all one big party and if I, I think i can say it on the air orgy 
in the name of whatever worship you, uh, whatever God you uh, were particularly uh, worshiping here. Now, Pastor- so we have again the distinction between the way we were before and the way that we are now as Christians. Yes, very good. And earlier in the chapter, Ephesians 5, 3 to 5, there is a direct reference to the false worship of the pagans. And so we're coming full circle here now. This is who you used to walk under, and now you are walking under Christ, and this leads us to a right worship of the one true God. And I, th- I think it just fits together in a beautiful bow. Uh, from the Ephesians commentary again, this is on page 586. It says, In any case, the role of the Spirit in Paul's thought is clear. Because they are baptized, 5 verse 14, the Ephesians are filled up in and with the Spirit who makes them wise in the Word of God, 5 15 to 17, and leads them to acts of worship and submission, 5 19 to 21. I thought that that beautifully summarized this last little section that we're we're looking at. Now, there are some people that want to make a, a big, big deal out of the three different words, and in the ESV, it's translated psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, Pastor, do you have any comments on that? Winger says, uh, while there are some nuances with each one of the words, um, He's basically making a Trinitarian connection because he's talking about worship, and he's using three words that pretty much are synonymous, pretty much mean the same thing. uh, Do you want to weigh in on that at all? I think in the same way that pretty much these are synonymous, and to try and divide them up and and when this is done— in my experience, it's usually done based upon the English translation to try and distinguish them so that we can find a, a door to open up for contemporary worship songs, right? Correct. That, that's what that's I where, normally that's exactly where had I was the going. argument made. But I think that uh, what, what you've said, Winger says, I haven't read Winger, but that sounds correct to me. And I think a key thing then, too, about making this about worship is the, the way uh, in the last verse, verse 20, it talks about these things being done in the name of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we have this idea of invocation. We have the same idea in the Catechism again. Uh, you know, how is God's name kept holy? Um, that whole definition is what's being brought across by Paul, that the Word of God needs to be taught in its truth and purity in the singing and in the hymns and in the the, the liturgy uh, that we follow. And so um, that's the issue with some of the contemporary worship hymns, is that they don't teach God's Word purely. They don't keep it in God's name, and they don't do things correctly in that regard. And I know we'll get lots of hate mail for that, but it's the truth. And uh, that needs to be said. It does not flow from the word of God, which is the true wisdom of God. It flows more from my words, my feelings, my 
uh, reason, and it is anthropocentric, man-centered, rather than Christ-centered or the Word of God-centered. And I think it is cautionary that we need to we need to look at this and uh, debunk some of that stuff. I've I've even heard some of our uh, Pentecostal friends say that the last one is in direct reference to speaking in tongues, and uh, there is nothing that you can do with with the Greek of that text to make that say speaking in tongues that is that is trying to force your own theology into something uh before we run out of time i want to i want to get here uh to the end to uh verse 20 and i need i need some um help here because uh, both of you guys's greek is so much better than mine and in verse 20 we have the uh participle and that is the uh, the giving thanks word, the uh, Eucharisto word, and I can't quite uh, pronounce how it is there. Vicar, you're pretty good at that. Eucharistuntes. Thank you. Um, is dependent upon the imperative in verse five eighteen, play rusatha, and that is the addressing one another word. Is that correct? No, that was the That's, laleo. Plarusertha is fulfilling or filling. Okay, so the filling. Plerao. Uh, we are filled up. We are filled up uh, by the Spirit who then gives us the power, the ability uh, to give thanks and who gives us the power and the ability, verse 21, to submit. I don't know that I had made that connection before. And so this, um, this filling with the Spirit, the Spirit is in charge of all of this. The Spirit is in charge in how we address one another. The Spirit is in charge of our worship with our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Spirit is in charge of our giving thanks, whether that be a general prayer of thanksgiving like we have on Sunday morning or specifically the Holy Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper. And the Holy Spirit is in charge of our free and willing submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I'd, I'd like some reaction on that, The guys. Expositor's Greek Testament says the same thing, that uh, the submitting and uh, uh, the giving thanks and all of these things are coordinate clauses with that word, how the Spirit fills us. And I think that, again— We don't see that in the English. We don't see that in the English, but I think it does, um, again, tell us who's really in charge of worship and who how worship works. Uh, I always, when I teach confirmation, draw the picture, uh, you know, with God at the top and the people at the bottom and say worship begins with God doing his stuff, and we merely reply and respond to that. And I think these being coordinate clauses indicate that same thing, and I think— the singing of hymns, the reception of the Lord's Supper, and being submissive to God uh, all flow out of that. That, that is just such a, that is, that is such an amazing light bulb moment for me because people always get stuck on the whole submission thing. And to see it in its context and to have the words actually say and teach us what it means. We don't have to bring anything in. Vicar, you're chomping at the bit. <laughs> Another uh, sign that this is the Holy Spirit that's doing this, um, the word pantate, right after Eucharistuntes, um, always, pantate, always, 
Um, because is it possible for us to always give thanks um, all the time? No. No. And when it's when we can't do that, who does it for us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can really do that at all times. So that's another sign that this is the work of the Spirit, not our work. You know, Vicar, that is very, very perceptive. <laughs> and we have one of our post-communion prayers that talks about either constantly giving thanks or constantly serving or serving constantly. And I read that and I think, I can't do it. I can't do it no, no matter how much I pray for it. And I, and I know I, I could and I know I should, but I don't. And that description right there fits beautifully with that post-communion colic too. Pastor. And that's maybe the thing to remember as, as Lutherans is it's great. Uh, we do it because we're Christians and the Holy Spirit is doing it in us. And whether we realize it or not, the, uh, the new man within us is Christian and does these things, even as the old man is in us and uh, fails at it. And so, uh, you know, maybe that's what we need to do is to realize the new man is present and working in us uh, in that prayer. Thank you. One of, one of the things that Winger emphasizes so much in his commentary is the Trinitarian nature of Ephesians, and especially this chapter. In verse 20, we are uh, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all of this is powered by the Holy Spirit. And so once again, we have our Trinitarian emphasis. Uh, I hate to bring this session to a close. It has been fun. It has been informative. And for me personally, it has been very, very enlightening. When uh, this is episode seven, when we come back next time, we're going to uh, tackle what are some of the most controversial or misunderstood verses in all of scripture. We'll begin with Ephesians 5.22. You know what I'm talking about. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in to Equipping the Saints. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Goodroad, I'm Pastor Poppy. God's blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.